The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another wild and wonderful episode of Smack My Pitch Up. I am your host, Mike the Hobbit, here on this fantastic episode, bringing back another comedy classic from my youth, personally, that I'm a big fan of. Cannot wait to talk about it. It's a movie that is probably going to be featured on an episode of Geeks Under the Influence here in June that we're doing called Movies That Aged Poorly. Uh, <laughs> there's some aspects of this film that are, I'd say, minorly problematic to modern day, not just in how things went about in the storyline that would have to be different now, but also just some things that happened that like would just not fly nowadays. It's true. I mean, it's, it can be a little problematic. It still just has this beautiful amount of innocence that sure. And that's why the, this is definitely something that could be revisited in uh, with a, just a couple tweaks, not anything too major in order to get it to work. It's just a couple things that are, and we'll get into that as well <laughs> with me on this episode. We're talking about, of course, the Tom Hanks comedy classic, Big. Big. Everybody remembers that scene where he's dancing with uh, with Loja on the keyboard, the, the foot keyboard. Damn right. They even paid homage to it in Shazam. A they little did. Bit. Yeah. Yes. Which, I mean, is a perfect movie to pay homage to Big since it's a very similar plot device. Absolutely. In that movie. And, it and you know. Makes total comic. sense. It also happens to be, I think, Penny Marshall's opus. Like. Absolutely fantastic. I was. Uh, looking into this movie a little bit before we got started on it. And I watched an interview with Penny Marshall where not really many people were signing on. She was having trouble getting this done. And then De Niro stepped in to play the role, the main role yep. in it. And he was supposed to be the main role. And he said that, uh, or she said that he is, his take on it was a lot less comedic in its approach, but definitely very kind of warm hearted and, and loving approach to the character. Right. So it would be, <laughs> Probably a very good performance, but definitely not the style of movie that we came to get. Well, in that time, too, he wasn't in his bad grandpa sort of uh, era, you know, where he really kind of embraced the comedy. He did do, he did do King Comedy, but that was kind of dark. That was dark, yeah. You know, but, you know, it's now, I could see it now, but, like, then it would have to be, like, a different named movie. It wouldn't be big. It would be old as fuck. Yeah, right. <laughs> and... With this movie, there are definitely moments in this film that could go way darker, but with her expert hand as a director, they were able to kind of not necessarily glaze over those parts, but put enough comedy to the moment that allowed it to be like glanced over by the audience and allowed you to continue without right. being like, that is horrifying. Well, it was also the first time that people really saw uh, Tom Hanks's acting chops. Because he brought some drama to this. Sure. Like the sequence where he spends his first night 
in that ratty like crack hotel crack hotel in <laughs> yeah. new york city and there's gunshots and he's scared and starts crying and it's so fucking like believable it, it it's one of my many moments that i enjoy spending with my wife because i will know she's gonna cry oh yeah at that sequence it's it's terrifying imagining just this child in an adult body in this crack house that has to like put something against the door because yep worried somebody's gonna break in in the night you know uh, prior to this you know it was all bachelor party and and all these zany comedies which were he was fantastic in but this was the first time that he really kind of brought some uh some you know acting resonance you know yep now the uh, gentleman you're hearing speaking with me that will be helping me out on this uh, voyage through Tom Hanks comedy of uh, of the golden era of his comedy. Oh yeah, when he was doing he was doing some fantastic work back then. Uh, Man with the one red shoe, uh, the Burbs, the Burbs, which will probably get visited on this uh, podcast here because that's a great movie to it's do. It's so for, good. It's it's so good, <laughs> and just picking all the evil Germans to be the neighbors yes. and that movie would be so much fun. The, one of my favorites, the money pit, which has the funniest on screen laugh when he like, I think the tub falls through the floor <laughs> yeah. and he just freaks the fuck out. And when we were kids, like all my brothers and I would laugh so fucking hard at that sequence. Cause he just, it's the biggest laugh of all time. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's just, everything so my uh my guest on this episode is the one of the co-hosts of beautiful disasters podcast on gypodcast.com one of our many shows on the network is hair groots the groots the groots is here it's great to be back yeah absolutely i, I we're trying to remember we were talking you did the james bond episode which was i think episode two yeah of smack my pitch up there's another one in there i'm pretty sure did was i on the firefly one no, you because that was Joe. I think was on the Firefly. Yeah. One, so. Okay. So I I might have only done the one. Maybe I'll have to go back and check. I gotta look, man. We're we're at about uh, twenty five episodes at this point, so right. it's starting to get to the point where I'm starting to forget what's happening. As opposed, you know, all seven other shows on the network, so it gets murky yeah, from yeah, time to time. Yeah. My my brain is a is is a sponge of stupid. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and there's plenty of stupid in this movie to play with here. So basically the way this works, if you're unfamiliar with smack my pitch up is that we are picking a movie or TV property and we are rebooting, remaking, sequeling, sidequeling, uh, reimagining, mashing up, adapting at, at our whim. So each one of us is going to take turns choosing directors and actors to cast that we think would actually work for a reboot or a remake or whatever version we choose to go with. And one that we think would just be a fun, interesting take on the film. Usually it's just like a weird direction and tone and, and character choices that we uh, usually go with. It usually leads to a very interesting um, headcanon for what a sequel could be. Absolutely. And I think or, this is going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to seeing what you got. And I'm going to bring some awesome. I think you're going to appreciate mine, and I hope we don't have too much crossover on our silly, because uh, I, I have a feeling we might have gone a similar direction, it knowing, could, it knowing could be. you. Uh, uh, I, I do think the hardest part for me was was casting the young roles, because there's just not that many young actors that are perfect for either you know comedy or drama, like that are young enough that they could play the roles as well. I did have one of the kid roles that I used for both my serious and my funny. Ah. Uh, one actor, I was like, this is a, a relatively versatile actor that can both play comedically and 
the other way that I decided to go. So um, <laughs> nice. I think I think it's a it's a solid choice. The uh, and again, the also hard part is that a lot of the Stranger Kid actors that we have used multiple times in some of these episodes are getting to the age where they're not really age appropriate for this role because this is that he was what 10 12 years old maybe 13 13 so he was, he was 13 brand new teenager yes yeah so yeah he was little and i mean yeah basically a lot of those kids are starting to get up in the mid-teens now the mid to late teens yeah they're yeah you know i mean pretty soon they're gonna be legal and then that's gonna get weird yeah that's gonna get real weird <laughs> But those kids are, I mean, pretty much set as far as acting goes. They're going to be pulled into whatever they can. For their, they started young and showed their chops real early. Oh, yeah. So they're in good shape. They don't need to be cast in this movie uh, that we clearly have complete total producer control over in Hollywood. You know, sure. They're waiting for us to say who should be in this film. Exactly. So Either way, whoever we talk about, we probably need to cast this shit like right now. Yeah. So uh, let's get into it. First off, let's go over kind of our take on the plot how we would kind of change it up what we would want to do differently now are you doing a sequel or are you doing like a, just a reimagining or reboot something along I'm doing those lines? a reimagining okay it's gonna be a little bit darker okay um and still you know it'll still have some innocence to it but it's definitely gonna be more serious okay and uh, then of course my fun one is you know just for fun okay but uh, basically it's it's taking the the notion of big the basic plot line but that one night in the in Penny Marshall's film where he spends in that shitty hotel room is basically going to set the tone for the rest of the movie. Oh god. <laughs> um I have a feeling that your your serious is going to be my funny, all right? So that's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I I had a very similar way of thinking on it. A different scene in the movie, but uh now, are you looking for this to be a period piece that takes place in like the 80s or, or 90s? It, it or? doesn't. No, it doesn't have to be. Um, it, it can be set in modern day. Okay. Um, so I think that would kind of be funny as well. Now, of course, as a period piece, you know, as, as it was made in the 80s, like this is pre-cell phone era. Mm -hmm. So it's much more believable that a kid could like get out and go be in New York city with nobody really noticing, noticing at all. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, there's no his, Amber alerts. There's his, yeah. His buddy, Billy just straight up, like takes the bus in like a bunch of times to see him in the city. Like, you know, there, there was no, I love, there's one moment in that movie that sets up the entirety of why Billy can go into the city all the time is that his mom's awful. Like that's literally it that she's yeah. just, yelling at everyone in the family. They all look beaten down. He just like fills his plate and then leaves. And she doesn't even notice that he leaves the dinner table. He's one of those kids that like just isn't being paid attention to. There's and like so, four or five of them in the family. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I just watched the extended cut earlier today, which has all the extra scenes that, you know, didn't need to be in the theatrical, sure. I guess, you know, for flow reasons. But, you know, there's like an extended sequence where, you know, she's yelling at all these kids and her husband, and everyone's just like, uh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> so that explains Billy, but in the era of Amber Alerts, and well, he's an adult man, um, Josh is, so yeah. even the Amber Alerts wouldn't really affect him so much as just kind of freak him out a little bit. Right. But there's a lot that you can play with, like him, I don't know, maybe trying cigarettes for the first time, and then there's like an, a picture of him as a child on the screen, and he gets like really freaked out, and then the the gentleman selling him the cigarettes was looking at him weird. Like, why are you so freaked out? And he thinks the dude 
get recognizes him from the kid picture. You know, little <laughs> little moments like that that you can really have a lot of fun with. Absolutely. And that's where it tone is kind of important here. So you're going definitely the darker route, like a dark comedy. Correct. Approach. I'm going for my serious anyway. I'm going, I guess you could say more seri- serious in tone, but more in that kind of sarcastic, uh, absurdist approach, comedic approach to it. Okay. It's more um, kind of the lost in translation the, you know, I heart Huckabees, you know, a little, a touch of Wes Anderson, but not with as much whimsy, you know, that kind of right. just very yeah. dry, very kind of situational approach to the, I like the scenes. I definitely I, like I it. I think that would be a lot of fun to play with. And my, my casting definitely goes in that direction. My, uh, my main difference between the serious and the funny, as far as plot goes, the plot is mostly the same, except that there's a lot more time spent with the, the parent which uh, will be a single parent in, in my reimagining. And that'll be part of the thing is that, uh, that Josh has an older brother that's been relatively successful. Oh, nice. Um, and has left the house and not long after that parents divorce and dad leaves and he's stuck in the house with his mom who was used to having two kids and a husband. That's now just her and him and him feeling like stranglehold on him about the situation, feeling like, uh, he has no room to breathe. Uh, she's in an emotional wreck because of two things, you know, her oldest leaving the house to, you know, do life stuff and husband that left her. So it's just this whole mess for him. He just needs to get the fuck out. And his buddy who just leaves all the time, doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Parents don't care. He's like, that's so rad. Like, why can't I just grow up already and get out of this house? And that's kind of the direction. I like it. To. Uh, but with the serious, I want it to be more focused on equally the parent, working with the FBI, trying to figure out where the kid went, like that it's really like a, a missing child situation and adding real gravity to that side of it because it's kind of glanced over a little bit that like as he's playing silly string fights and, you know, jumping on, on trampolines and stuff, his mom is like a fucking emotional wreck. Oh yeah. And just distraught and thinks that her son's been kidnapped by a secret sex gang because he shows up and shows his underwear to her and like runs out of the house. And it, it's purely a horrifying moment for her. You know, honestly, I, I really could almost imagine a sequel that just is about the mom who whose life, even though she gets her kid back, she is forever fucked up by this situation. She's like Nancy in season two of Stranger Things where she just is like always checking on the kid. I'm like, are you okay? I've been gone like 20 minutes. Jesus, chill out. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, the big twist, and I can do the I can do the plot because it's not going to, you know, we still got the casting and stuff to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. In the uh, much darker one. Uh, the, or the serious one, the thing that I, thing I think will work is coming to realization that actually... Josh hasn't grown up enough to be an adult yet and yet got to earn it honestly. And there's no skipping ahead, mm-hmm. you know, that, that you've got to kind of figure out, you got to mature as you get older and just wasn't there yet and making that acceptance to it. That still happens in the serious version. But as he goes back to the docks and finds like Zoltan and or uh, Zoltar, is it Zoltar? The, the Zoltar machine. Yeah. Zoltar machine. Um, of course there's people like searching for, uh, for him as a boy and he has been spotted with uh, the buddy Billy and the mom has this weird conspiracy that Billy knows where her son is. And it's like her harangues him real fucking hard towards the end of the movie. Yeah. Follows him out to the docks where he meets up with Josh, where he says goodbye to his girlfriend and he's going towards his Zoltar machine when 
mom jumps out of nowhere with a knife and like tackles him and holds him down. It's like, where's my son? Like in a blind, like crazy <laughs> rage and kills him. And it ends Ooh. with him bleeding out uh, as a child, like werewolf rules. Um, as oh, she's watching, dude, <laughs> yeah. that shit's amazing and dark. <laughs> like she straight up m- murders her child because she thought it was the abductor of her kid. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's a great end. That's definitely the not the one I think will work. <laughs> if you called it something else, it could work. But if we're talking an actual big uh, reboot, yeah, definitely. No, that's, no, that's I a little dig, much. I, I dig it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my my fun one is just for fun. It's a bunch of fun. But the, the dark one relatively follows the same uh, storyline points. But when it goes dark, it goes real dark. And it, it'll become clear as I kind of go through the whole cast how these points are going to hit and where it's going to go. It, I love your spin on the end. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, I kind of love the idea that everyone is still alive at the end and just broke, just emotionally destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, almost worse. Well, I mean, I mean, the mom in my version is like done. Like she's gonna off herself at that point. Oh, I mean, her older kid left, and that's also my thing for both of them is that the reason I added an older brother, nice, is that I wanted. There is no way with technology now for social security numbers, all that stuff, that he would get a job in the first place. Oh, right. Um, I mean, this kid would get tracked pretty easy. So the idea is that he looks a lot like his older brother after he's grown up, like Mm -hmm. gotten big. So he actually, like when he goes back to the house as an adult, which happens in the first movie, he ends up actually stealing his brother's ID and backup credit card that he has in case of emergencies that he still has from college days. That totally makes sense. And therefore he can actually use an ID. He has an ID, has social security number. His brother's actually fresh out of college doing computer programming. Uh, so he ends up getting a job at a, instead of toy company, a video game company doing uh, research on like new, new, uh, new game ideas. Right. So it's, that's basically the same, about video games instead of toys, but he's using his brother's uh, diploma and everything as a means to get the job. Mm-hmm. Who's in another state. You know? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's the way I got around some of the technical ifs there. Oh so, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I dig it. That, that's perfect. Yeah. So uh, how do you want to do this? Do you want to do funny first and then uh, or serious? Let's do both. Let's just go down the cast list and uh, do kind of our, our serious and then our funny, I guess. Okay. So I guess the actual characters that I went through. Well, did you get directors down? I did. Yes. Okay. Of course. That'll set the tone on kind of what we're looking at for your films here. Absolutely. So... As far as the characters, obviously we have Josh, who's the main character. Sure. Billy, his friend. Mm-hmm. Right? The mom. Mm-hmm. The grown-up love interest, obviously. Yeah. Susan. Uh, I did the owner of the company he worked for. That was uh, did... Macmillan, Macmillan, or played by Robert Loja. Loja. Which, Robert Loja, that's just a name that sounds like it should be like the end to a joke. Like, just like Robert Loja. It's just... Right. And for the longest time, I was like, oh, Robert Lagia. No, but that's Loja. You know, yeah. Not how no, say correct. It. Yeah. Um, I did include the asshole that worked at the company. Uh, Paul, played by John Hurd. Paul. I added him as well. Yep. And then, of course, I also casted a young Josh because, of course, he's at the beginning mm-hmm. and end of mine. Oh, end of yours, too. Yeah. <laughs> 
I uh, I casted Young Josh as well. I did not cast the mom. I was having real trouble with that. I think I would go with like a Susan Sarandon type, but the problem is that she's probably a little bit too aged out for a 13-year-old boy's mom. Yeah, at this point. Yeah. So that's um, so my easy go is, you know, why not a writer? But I didn't actually pick anybody for that, so okay. I'm just going to leave that alone uh, and let you do yours. But Fair enough, fair enough. Um, who are your directors? Okay, so for the fun one, it, I was on the fence. It was either going to be um, James Gunn, but I landed on Judd Apatow. Okay. Uh, because I think he does, not only does he do comedy beautifully, but he, he can do it with a certain sense of maturity. You know, this is 40, that sort of thing, that, where he can actually like bring mature elements into his comedy. And I mean, both both of these are going to be rated R because sure. fuck PG movies. Yeah. <laughs> but I also like Judd Apatow because a lot of his films comment on learning to gain a certain perspective, learning mm-hmm. to be a little bit more mature, and more mature in the situation, like learning to grow up basically. Yeah. And that's what this entire story is about. And there's loss of innocence and mm-hmm. all kinds of themes like throughout that he will handle deftly. Um, so, uh, just kind of going through the actual characters, uh, on the funny one, I figured a perfect, uh, replacement for what would be a very, older Tom Hanks now would be John Krasinski. Ooh, okay. Because he can bring the funny, he can bring the drama. We've seen it. Uh, you know, I mean, as as the dad in A Quiet Place, I mean, come on, dude. Oh, he was fan-fucking-tastic in that role. He was outstanding. So he would definitely be, obviously, the grown-up one. But I guess I guess I should probably start with the young Josh. Um, I I wanted to cast someone who looks innocent and who looks a little younger than his age. Okay. So I did go with Finn Wolfhard. Okay. Because he still, like, he hasn't sprouted yet. Yeah. His balls haven't dropped enough, and I guess he's not. And he's got that floppy-do hair that really works for this role. Right. So, you know, and and I could see him growing up into John Krasinski. Whatever, you know. Yeah. White kid and the white guy, you know. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so those are the Joshes. Um, I went with uh, the fun... Billy is Gaten Matarazzo because okay, because Gaten's adorable. He's funny yeah. and he can cuss and it's just hilarious. Um, and then uh, let's see, the mom I cast as Christina Hendricks. Ooh, nice. Just because you just want to see her and stuff. I I, I love her. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. I yeah, she is everything. <laughs> Can't get too mad about that. Yeah. No, and and she can cry. Yeah, I've seen her cry. You know, I mean, she can bring the drama mm-hmm. and maybe. I'm a sick man, but I just want to see her cry and jiggle. <laughs> That's a so, little uh, borderline. Little, yeah, it's a little, you know, little but much, hey, but. it's it's a Judd Apatow, you know, movie. Yeah, so yeah. now for the Susan girlfriend character, I, I spun it up and actually uh, came in with two uh, instead of just one. Yes, two girlfriends or? Yeah. Oh, wow. At the, at the company. Okay. And so then you can play the whole like they don't know about each other stuff and like what they or, do know about each other. Oh, and that's where it gets cool. Oh, so you're talking about a very modern take on dating that is happening. Exactly. Ooh, you're pulling in like Tinder world and like polyamory and talking about a loss of innocence. And of course, <laughs> I had to cast uh, Garfunkel and Oates in the roles. Oh, fuck. Yes. OK, but I'm, I want to add that to mine now. That is a really good choice. They're, I think they're, that's fun. They're both adorable. They're both pretty. 
and, and they both know how to comedic act like their asses off and they so. and they both get naked all the time so it's yeah. it it works hey totally sounds good as for the owner of the company now for the funny one i just stayed with a toy company obviously it's a more modern take on it but i went with christopher walken because i was this close i was oh, this close to walking he's just an, oh wait no i picked him okay no go ahead oh good <laughs> yeah <laughs> no yeah he's just I, I love him. And he's he's that age where I can see him as like the owner, the kind of eccentric owner of a, of a company. With Walken, the w- reason that I thought of him for my serious one, the one that I think oh, would nice. work, is the piano scene. Him dancing with literally whoever. Oh, yeah. He's a, got a dancing background. He would be amazing in that scene. Well, he, this kind of ties into the dancing, too. Okay. Because I did think of a recreation of that scene that instead of... Uh, the piano, the the you know iconic scene from the movie. Oh God, no! Please don't. I, I went with the with inspiration from the FP, and it's DDR, yeah, baby. Ah, damn it! I oh, you God did the same? It. No, I didn't. Um, I'm I actually did straight up like old school piano scene. Oh no, that's perfect. But what I did is uh, actually like a, a street art thing. Nice. You know, where it's like light up almost like the smooth criminal video, yep. but with like musical tiles on it like a installation on a big street art thing i dig that yeah yeah yeah. no that's cool as shit yeah and i guess the last person i cast from that was was the office asshole that is jealous that the two girls are now interested in josh brand new employee sure brand new like promoted up to vp because they're trying to get relevant again i casted bill Hader in that role nice because he can play a dick oh he can play a dick yeah and i can totally see him like doing some version of the scene where they basically get in a fight because he's trying to like best him at a game. Sure. You know, (laughs) (laughs) and they have a dance off or something. (laughs) So that's basically my, my fun one. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, For my fun, I went with a director, writer, producer, done a bunch of stuff. Hasn't done really any directing as far as movies go, but is well versed in directing on television, um, produced and wrote for, Everything from the Golden Girls oh. to uh, to Running Wild to Lady Dynamite, which is an absolute great series if you haven't seen that. Also wrote and directed, I believe, the majority of episodes of Arrested Development and is the show creator, oh. uh, Mitchell Hurwitz. Good call. Yeah. That is exactly the tone that I was kind of aiming for is that very character-driven kind of comedy, yeah. a very ensemble. I want it to be more ensemble than just Tom Hanks being fucking badass as shit and everybody right. kind of falling around that moment. No, There's I, moments that you've got to do something with that is individual to the to how great the main character is, like the tiny corn on the cob eating scene in Big, which is just this brilliant choice. Oh, yeah. And that Tom Hanks actually made on the moment, I believe. I, uh, I think, I, yeah. I, I don't think, think that, that was, was in the script. You got to have those moments, but also just having situational comedy about like the difference of background, the difference of experience is enough to really drive the comedy in this the series. So oh, hell yeah. I went with actors that I that were good in ensemble and also I think uh, would be really fun to play with in this kind of drier, kind of situational, funny, sardonic kind of approach that uh, Mitchell Hurwitz would bring. So for the adult Josh, okay. who was played by Tom Hanks, I went with one of my personal favorites. Um, and he's goofy and he could definitely play just awkward, big, lanky and awkward and f- not comfortable in the size body that he's in, which is a large body of Jason Siegel. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah he's yeah. big and lumbering and awkward uh, or can play it very well. So I think that would be kind of fun to have him play in that role. There you go. 
and so for my Billy, his buddy, I went with a small child actor because I think the the difference in size would be absolutely fucking hilarious with Jason Siegel to get Philip Zhao, who was the 13-year-old um, or the 11-year-old kid in Ready Player One. Oh, the yeah. The youngest of the, of the high yes. five. Yes. Uh, he had good timing. He played with uh, the other actors relatively well in the scenes. He was kind of like mouthy, which you need for, for Billy. Billy's a mouthy guy, so... That's perfect, the, yeah. actually, because I, I did actually look at Ready, Ready Player One because I was I was struggling trying to find young sure. kid actors. And I looked at that and I was like, I don't remember which ones of these I liked the best. Yeah. <laughs> so good on you, man. Yeah. Because I, think, I, think I only saw be... the movie one time. And just Jason Siegel arguing on the street, like his loud, aggressive screaming at a tiny Asian child, I think would be absolutely fucking hilarious. That would be. Especially as the tiny Asian child is just like, no, fuck you, dude. <laughs> just I'm right back. three and... months older than you, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> right? That would be amazing. <laughs> and being just talked like just beaten down by this tiny little man. It'd be great. Um, then the Susan, the mm-hmm. love interest. I was kind of a cheat because they've already had a romantic thing in another movie, but I really liked it. Um, she can definitely play the uh, whip smart, independent woman kind of role that I want for this. And uh, that's uh, Mia Kunis. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. From, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. They were, the romantic interest to each other in that movie. I, I thought you were going to say Kristen Bell, and I would have agreed also. That would have also been fine, but I think I wanted somebody that was a little a little more vampy than Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell doesn't really come off as vampy, and for like the business exec kind of tone, I wanted at least a little bit more of that, and Mikunos is like, not I wouldn't say full vampy, but she's got a touch. It, it works. Yeah. I, I think it's good. So for uh, Macmillan, that's Logia, uh, Logia's role. I, that was Christopher Walken. And nice. that would be the thing that he's just, yeah, very eccentric owner of this video game company. You know, he kind of fell into it from board games and toys. Mm-hmm. And they just started to develop video games in the 80s and 90s when that got big. And that's now pretty much all they do. So there could be like, kids don't play with real toys anymore kind of conversation with, with uh, Josh about how things used to be. And he has old toys from back when they did a lot of toys in his office and, you know, th- so that's kind of what spurs him to be interested in Josh is that he has a very kind of almost childlike approach to it in the first place. Right. And seeing somebody that is not looking at doing crazy psycho killer video games or, you know, Call of Duty games that I thought of a concept for a video game of a, a Call of Duty style game, but with super soakers in a water park. So you're like going down water slides and you're going through all the different stuff in a water park, but with squirt guns and it's straight up like a totally kid appropriate game. Nice. Call of duty version. And I think it would be a lot of fun to play a game like that. So that would be something that he would suggest that would be like, Oh, this, we can sell this to Wii, you know, right. <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> would buy this in a second. And yep. I'm just excited about some like childlike wonderment being involved still. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and he would play it up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause and, he, he always does. And that's why I want him there oh, uh, yeah. for Paul or John Hurd's character, the, mm-hmm. the stuffy, angry businessman, that's mad that uh, Mia Kunis is all about some... Uh, some Josh dick. S- some Josh dick. Wants that, wants that kid dick. Um, <laughs> which we will talk about. <laughs> um, somebody that's worked with Mitchell Hurwitz before and I think would be a lot of fun to see as the evil business villain role. Not too far off from what he did in Arrested Development is uh, Will Arnett. Absolutely. Would be so much fun just chewing the scenery. In oh, those he scenes. plays a dick so well. Oh, absolutely. So well. Just the self-important, like, completely unaware of himself. I mean, to the point that I almost want to see him play something 
other than a dick. Because he's, uh, I, from all accounts that I've heard, he's actually a genuinely nice human being. Oh, I so, bet he is, but yeah. he just has, he's almost been typecast at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Really, you know. And so, yeah, no, it's a perfect choice. Uh, for young Josh, this was difficult. I went with a actor that was in both the newest It, mm-hmm. uh, or in both It's. You know, there's flashbacks to the kid. The kid character uh, of Stanley okay. and also you played young Peter Quill in both Guardians of the Galaxy movies fuck you he's my choice for the really <laughs> <laughs> there's not enough good kids in yeah, the right? world uh, Wyatt Olef yep. is my is my uh, and that that's my choice for young Josh on both sides I figured that he would be able to being both young Peter Quill and also having some funny moments in it but also having those genuinely serious and like intense moments in it no. Oh, that and also like I mean he brought the tears in the beginning of Guardians. Yeah. And like, you know, his mom dies and it's like, oh, this kid can act. Yeah. Which is why I cast him in the serious one. Yeah, fair enough. So that's that's my uh actual take. What I think would actually work is, is that the fun take, uh my director is one I wanted something not full on horror. Like I was getting inspiration from those recut trailers where they did the one for big. Where it's like, uh, have you ever had a big, big secret is the actual tagline for big. Right. Which is pretty fucked up sounding. It sounds really like borderline pedophile-y. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to kind of go with a like a old school, like 80s thriller kind of approach to it. Okay. Like borderline horror thriller. And I thought no one could do it better than the person that brought the Hannibal Lecter movies to the screen the first time around um, that well before Silence of the Lambs, the 1980s, when the first Lecter movie came out by the name of Manhunter, uh, one Michael Mann is my director. I could see that. Yeah. Because Manhunter was fucking dark. It was Oh, yeah. Very dark. And also brings some real crime thriller stuff. Did uh, what Heat did. Uh, was it Public Enemies, I think? Um, has done a lot of... Yeah, he did that. Uh, an underrated one that I really liked was Collateral. Collateral, yeah. No, well, that wasn't under... That got Oscar nominated, I believe. It might have for something, but it, it kind of... It, it didn't hit, like, Miami Vice. Sure, yeah. Miami Vice, he also did. But I wanted to use him primarily because he knows how to do police procedural stuff. He did Inside Job as well, I believe. I think he also did... Didn't he do Last of the Mohicans, or am I... He did do Last of the Mohicans. Yeah. I think you're right, yeah. And that movie was fucking awesome. Yes, Absolutely. So I wanted, because I'm focusing a little bit more on the family as well as Josh, as this go, is going on, I want to have a little bit more of that police procedural action in there. Yeah. Michael Mann could absolutely do it, make it kind of raw, a little bit like tense in those scenes to kind yeah, of balance definitely. out kind of some of the silly that's happening with Josh's side. So I love it. Yeah. What is your uh, serious director here? So my serious director, and I actually scaled it back. I was going to go with Lars von Trier. Jesus, of course you were going to go with Lars von Trier. And then I was like, you know what? That's too harsh. That's way too much. <laughs> and Jesus. so I scaled it back to Darren Aronofsky. Okay, that's still a <laughs> lot, though. I mean, that's... Yeah, so it... <laughs> so the notion is, is that, you know, this is going to be a, like, a, a loss of innocence style, like, trip down in into the depths of hell. Like like a almost like a Dante Dante you know in Divine Comedy style situation. Wow, yeah, you're definitely taking a a different take on this. Well, uh, for your uh... I have to say, Darren Aronofsky is in my top five directors of all time because he has made some masterpieces 
and just some really heady movies. Oh yeah, I mean Requiem for a Dream, uh, fucking the, Fo- the I lo- fountain. I love the fountain. I love the fountain as well. Mother, mother, mother watching that with your wife uh, when she lost her shit at one point oh, in the yeah. movie was. I mean, I just added to the elements of of pure shock and disturbing imagery that happens in that film. Like back in the in the late sixties and seventies when they were marketing all these like horror movies like oh we're gonna give you a promotional barf bag because it's so bad or you know you have to sign a consent form when you enter the theater in case you go insane or something like that they should have actually provided xanax to people going into the theater to watch mother because it is so fucking high anxiety oh super high anxiety (laughs) absolutely that whole movie is just deeply tense oh absolutely and then and then incredibly upsetting very much so. Yeah. And it, I mean, Black Swan. Yep. Even like, you know, some, some of his like lesser, you know, I mean. Like Pie. Like Pie or The Wrestler. The Wrestler. They're oh, fucking God, amazing so movies. Like he, but he really delves into the human condition, uh, the, the concepts of fear, loss of innocence, um, like all these things that I think for taking Penny Marshall's big into a rated, a hard rated R fucked up universe. He's the perfect director. Whew. That's a lot to take. Could you imagine though? Somebody being like, I love big. I, Oh, and I love Aronofsky, not really thinking much about it. And then going in and getting just stabbed in the eye with, with just this exact visual, like destruction. That yeah, would no, happen I in mean, that movie. yeah. And, and there's a reason why I, I, I started with Lars von Trier and I was like, okay, that's too much. That is too much. And then I was like, maybe Nicholas Winding Refn or whatever. And then I was like, I need Darren Aronofsky. That's where it's got to be. So the casting kind of goes like this. I, I went back a little bit too, because I was initially thinking Fincher. <laughs> and I was like, that's too, that's too much. Like, I want to have Thriller, but I don't want like, <laughs> he made me fuck her. You know, <laughs> what's in the box? Like, I didn't want to go full. Right, exactly. I didn't want to go full seven with it. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, for the main character, um, as we already said, we, I also picked Wyatt Olaf for the young Josh. Okay. Uh, he can bring the drama. We've seen it. So we're, we're on the same mind, okay. mind frame there. Uh, for the grown up Josh, I went with Ryan Gosling. Okay. I dig it. Because I mean, I mean, obviously with drive and place beyond the pines, like he can bring the drama, but he can also be goofy too. Like, like the nice guys. He is absolutely phenomenal in the nice guys. Exactly. Lars and the real girl. Yep. Like he, he can bring, um, like sort of a weird campy innocence. Like, like he's, a, I think he's a very underrated actor. I'm glad you said place beyond the pines too. Cause that film does not get enough appreciation probably because no, he looks terrible in that movie. He's got oh, like yeah. a eye drop tattoo he's and, got bleach a fa- yeah, face hair, tattoo. and he looks terrible in it. So all the all the girls that are just like Ooh, Ryan Gosling are just people. Let me let me correct this people because he is a hunk of hunk of man that even a lot of my my like straight male friends are like yeah I'll go see Ryan Gosling I want to see him on screen. Oh yeah yeah. Even uh, he did uh, Blue Valentine with yeah. Um, oh that's a dark movie. Too. Uh, I forget the name of the girl, but uh, they were they were fa- it was fantastic. Yeah. Um. So I mean he he could bring it. He can bring the drama. He can play also the smiling, tragic character. He did that a little bit in La La Land as well, where he he had kind of a tragic turn of his character, but on the same end, there was this kind of spirit to him at the same time, which in what you're looking at, 
Sure. You kind of need that, that there's the childlike innocence that's holding them on, but as all this terrible shit's happening. So I, I wanted to cast someone that I thought could go dark as a child. And I've seen him go dark. And for the friend of Billy in the Darren Aronofsky version, uh, I went with Julian Dennison, who was the kid from Deadpool 2. That, oh, wow. That was, you know, a little bit portly and yeah. just was rage filled and wanted to murder everyone at the fucking children's school. First time I saw him, he also played an angry child. And it was just before Deadpool 2. I saw Hunt for the Wilder People, which is yeah. an early Taika Waititi. I still haven't seen film. it. It's amazing. To. It's great. And he's he's one of the main characters. He's like, basically, it's a buddy piece with him and uh, Sam Neill. <laughs> and it's it's a great film. But he's got just this back-talking, yeah. weird little kid. I, I almost went with uh, one of the kids from um, uh, this kind of indie flick from Canada called... Uh, uh, oh, shit. What was it called? Uh, it's where all the little kids are playing war. I declare war. Oh, yes. yes. I, I still have not seen that, even though I oh think God. it's on Amazon or was on Amazon. At one yeah. Uh, Drafthouse Films put it out a few years back. It's an amazing concept, which brings the imagination kind of to real life, where it's a bunch of kids playing war in the woods, and suddenly they have real-looking weapons, and they're actually murdering each other. And again, it's all make-believe, but it's, it's such a riveting movie. And, you know, the angry sort of like like villain of that movie was almost my casting but i had to go with julian dennison just because he knocked it out of the park in deadpool 2 yeah he did you know uh so <clears throat> he would be the friend uh he can be funny obviously mm -hmm. but also you know this shit's gonna gonna get black mm -hmm. you know um for the mom mrs baskin i went with jennifer Connolly. okay because She's well, my girl. Yeah, you're obsessed with her. So I have been since the labyrinth. But <laughs> you want to talk about someone who can bring heavy fucking drama, House of Sand and Fog level sure. drama. She can do it. Uh, obviously, she was in Requiem for a Dream and like everything she's ever been in. I mean, all these heavy movies. I just saw something she was in called Shelter, where she plays like a drug addict uh, that's trying to recover. And and that movie's fucked up. Yeah. But every movie she's in is fucked up in some way. <laughs> shelter is that I'll, the one that it's like in a shelter during a tornado or something or no 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 uh, that might be take shelter that i'm thinking yeah of. okay I, uh this has due to played um the flying man from the adventure movies uh who had the mechanical wings falcon thank you uh oh uh mackie uh, anthony mackie yeah. yes yeah i think he was in, yeah he was in that uh it was a great movie I think I've seen the trailer and I think I know what you're talking it's about. It's very dark. Okay. It's very dark. Um, but it's perfect because she is, she has such a range and you know, she is of an age now that, I mean, she's a mother of several children with, you know, that motherfucker that she married that, yeah. I, that I hate and want to die in a fire. Cause it's not me. <laughs> Fair enough. But you know, whatever's, <laughs> anyway you're not jaded at all over that <laughs> she was going to be mine one day yeah. and here you are miserable in your happy marriage like, hey, yeah, uh, yeah. Just... well you know yeah anyway yeah she's my pick for the mom because she'll cry on screen and i'll cry so okay fair enough that's my that's my thing uh for the for susan the the work girlfriend 
I went with Chloe Savigny because as this goes dark, their relationship and the dissolution of his innocence is going to happen very quickly. And I'm not saying there's going to be an on-screen blowjob scene, but she is intense. I mean, she's been in fucking a number of films that have been like really fucking raw, like kids, Yeah, and, you know, like, and, 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 you know, her acting chops are on point. You know, I was almost thinking of her as a more executive version of like, uh, Patrick Bateman's secretary in American psycho. Okay. But like, you know, more shot collar sort of thing. Sure. And she just finds an eye for Ryan Gosling's Josh. Um, and it goes from there and there will be, you know, drugs and, you know, all kinds <laughs> of sex. And it's, it's, it's a downward spiral that goes pretty quickly. Okay. You know, uh, so like big meets less than zero or we doing? yeah, kind of okay. like big, big wow. meets, uh, like a more highfalutin, uh, you know, a, a more corporate version of Requiem for a Dream where things oh, just start going down. Okay. Um, so for Macmillan, the owner of the company, uh, which in this version, I actually, I kind of combined him with the owner of the company and also the devil in a sense, because, and it's going to be mysterious whether or not it's actually him, but instead of a Zoltar machine, okay, when the young kid, uh, Wyatt Olaf, young Josh is, you know, He's sad. He wants to be. He wants to be more mature. He he doesn't have, but anybody but this one friend. He wants to you know impress the girls, but family life is shot. His mom is crazy, and you know as a young kid, as a thirteen year old, you know he's you know he's roaming out on the streets and having a good time. You know, he comes across this bum that. Basically, it's just like, hey, kid, if you give me $5, I'll give you one of these. And he's got a pill in his hand. Oh, Christ. This is the transition to big. Okay. He takes the pill. He gives the guy some money. And it's a grizzled, beardy, old-looking dude played by Tom Waits. (laughs) Anything to get Tom Waits in there. Goddamn right. Yeah. Now, going back to McMillan. After he gets big, he's he's working for this company, and you know he's he's rising up the ranks because he knows computers, you know, etc. the The head of the company takes an eye to him. It is a more cleaned up and much more recognizable Tom Waits, who is eccentric yeah. and weird, but offers him a gigantic promotion. A week after he starts with the company, How, that's that's kind of weird, isn't so it? So you're adding a little bit of like dark fantasy in here as well. Absolutely. I okay. mean, well, I mean, also there's a pill that made him grow up overnight, you know. So I mean, there's there's weird shit going on, but you know, I mean, Tom Waits did play the devil in uh, Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. Yeah, goddamn right. It yeah, was awesome. Did a great job. And um, so I, I I just think the different levels playing there are fun where everything is just going south and it almost has a little parallel to like, um, uh, Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves. I knew you were doing a little <laughs> devil's advocate as well. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I got, 
So yeah, the last character is um the Paul character, the asshole. Sure. Uh rival. And I had to throw something in from Lars von Trier, and I had to go with Matt Dillon, who recently did the house that Jack built. Okay, and he could play like a like a really shitty well win by any means necessary executive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he can play funny, he can play shitty, like, you know, something about Mary, but um, I haven't seen the full movie yet, but I've seen certain scenes and I am waiting on the damn fucking DVD to come in the mail. <laughs> but everything that I've heard and seen so far of The House of Jack Bill is that that movie is fucking insanity nice that's it the serial so, killer one right yes yeah i've seen a little bit of it harsh i mean just little snippets here and there like you said Lars von trier is just mad at life <laughs> i'm i'm pretty like he i don't think there's a filmmaker out right now that is going in the dark directions that he goes yeah which is saying something which is why i actually pulled away a little bit back to Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's just like, <laughs> nope, that's a little too much for big. Because mother is diet Von Trier. <laughs> <laughs> Which is saying a lot. <laughs> anyway, that that's that's my serious casting. That's the one that I would I would actually make. All right, my serious casting, which is probably more in line with what you would be interested in doing here, is, uh, again, Michael Mann is directing. So right. a little bit of grizzled crime thriller in the mix of just kind of like character study on, you know, uh, if there's there is humor in it, but it's definitely more of a dark humor kind of approach to it. And I wanted a character that could be a little bit childlike in their approach, but also just a phenomenal actor that can play real serious when necessary. And some one actor that I've seen both in wackadoo comedies, just being a giant goofball, and is also in his own right a phenomenal actor that can button it up and be real serious when necessary, is uh, for Josh, uh, the adult Josh, James Franco. I'm with you. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's got the floppy hair as well, which isn't really a necessity so much. Like Jason Siegel doesn't really have floppy hair, but it's, you know, I want to at least have some homage to Tom Hanks a, li a little bit, at yeah. least with the hair. Oh yeah. Yeah. And James Franco, I think he, he can play, he can play down his, his, uh, maturity level relatively well, but also get really serious when the shit hits the fan, which it will in this movie. Oh yeah. And, uh, Billy, his best bud, that's helping him out. This was a child actor that has played some really dramatic roles. He was in uh, the movie Room. Like Brie Larson? With Brie Larson. Oh, he yeah. He was the kid in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was also in Wonder. I haven't seen that. Uh, he was also the kid in the newest movie, The Predator, the newest Predator movie. Oh, I didn't see that either. Yeah, and so he's played very intense, yeah. like, young kid roles. And he's, he's around the right age for this as well. Uh, that's uh, Jacob Tremblay who okay. is really getting a lot of roles right now because he's a young kid, like very young kid around the age of these characters uh, they're supposed to be that can act his ass off. So hell yeah. When you're going against like James Franco as your buddy, you want a kid that's going to be able to have some nuanced reactions to the character. So I think that's a, he's, he's shown that he has the ability in those movies. So I think that's a, a good choice. No, I get it. And, and a lot of the kids that I was my first, my brain went to, we're all kids from 10 years ago. That's that's the hardest thing, too. It's like, oh, well, they're 20 now. So that's, you I know. I was like, oh, let's let's get some of the kids from Super 8. Oh, no, that's fucking. They're, they're all in their 30s now. Yeah. So. And it's like, God damn it. Because all the Spielberg kids are way old. Oh, yeah. No, know? they're all. They could play the adults in this movie. Um, right. Yeah. So speaking of adults in this movie, Susan, the love interest yeah. is my next one up. And I wanted to really go with the 
office woman that is like clinging to the most successful man in the office kind of tone, which you absolutely got in the first movie. Oh, you know, yeah. The only reason that she initially found interest in Josh is because he was going up the ladder so quickly and she saw uh, Paul, the the bad guy character, as basically like yesterday's news and so dropped him like a bad habit, even though they were like dating. That was probably the most problematic thing of the last movie. <laughs> yeah, of her just being like, oh, I'm going to suck that dick. Like she was like, I'm going to get me some of that like hot young new star uh action and i really wanted to play it up as this not being a good person like i they kind of glazed over it a little bit in the original movie that she actually developed feelings and got to let loose a little bit and learn her lesson and i'm like that's not actually how life works so in this version it's going to be a very like beware the local honeypot like seductress type character <laughs> yeah. that james franco just can't resist and also is absolutely using him like that's what i really want to portray with all these characters is that uh josh james franco's character is being deeply used by everyone here and oh, his yeah. childlike innocence is a rare commodity in a in a broken like upset and jaded world and so that's actually why he ends up going through the ranks so quickly is because he's able to see a perspective that nobody can anymore and so they're basically sucking him dry of his childlike innocence because that's so such a rare commodity. And the person that's literally doing that, sucking him dry in this movie is Scarlett Johansson. That perfect. Yeah. Yep. She can do it. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, uh, and I think that I think it'd be a lot of fun to see James Franco opposite Scarlett Johansson in that role as well. Her turn in was it under the skin or into the skin? Uh, into the skin. Into the skin. Holy fuck. Yeah. That was so incredible. Yeah. The thing is, she is known for being, you know, voluptuous, athletic, action person, but she's able to play a nuanced character as well. She doesn't oh, get yeah. as much opportunity to do that. And so I think this playing up the, uh, you know, the, the sex bomb character a little bit, but also giving some real moments to have these insightful, like, mm -hmm. notes with the character, I, th I think she could do it. I, I think it, it yeah. would work for her. I mean... She can play dead eyes, just like Chloe Sevigny can. Sure. You know, and that's important Yeah, when she is focused on, uh, you know, corrupting. A goal. And exploiting a particular character. Yeah. So I think she would, she would nail it as Susan. Yep. Or nail James Franco as Susan, I guess. Mm -hmm. Then uh, there's McMillan, the boss that was originally played by Loja. And I wanted somebody that was basically like kind of brass tacks, we're we're here to make money. We're not here to have fun. Yeah, I know we're doing video games, but your job is to make me money. That kind of approach. And tries to play warmed up a little bit to Josh to kind of feel him in, but there's definitely this like underlying like evil kind of tone to the character. Uh, Liam Neeson. Oh, okay. I, I was, if if you had asked me to guess, I would have said J.K. Simmons. Oh, he that's what, oh! If 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 you've seen um, Whiplash, oh, his dude, care, I, there's a reason why he won the Oscar. Yeah, he won the Oscar for that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, he did. He, he better have. I'm gonna write it. He that was dude's so amazing, amazing in that role. But I can see Liam Neeson. But I want Liam Neeson to, absolutely to yeah. Just I think it's that more gruff demeanor that I really wanted. He has more uh, of a like a regal stature. He's a tall guy. Yeah, he looks like someone who commands. Yeah. So, and I wanted somebody that, you know, this is a CEO of a major, like, billion-dollar company. This is this is big money we're talking about here. The video game industry outdoes music and movies uh, combined every year now. Yeah. 
I mean, it's like a what seven hundred or eight hundred billion dollar industry a year. Woof. Now, yeah, it's ridiculous. It makes tons of money. So, somebody that's at a successful video game company in New York City that is the CEO, the boss, the big dog, is not going to be a nice person. Is not going to be somebody that like, oh, you remind me of childlike wonderment. This is great. It's going to be like, cool, we can use that. Oh yeah, dude. And like, I mean, plug him up to a machine like it's a Rick and Morty episode. You know, just it's going to be. Yep. Um, totally user and Liam Neeson, I think could definitely play that just like hard ass, like borderline evil character. Absolutely. I feel it. Now, Paul, this, you're going to have fun with this because this actually leads a little bit into a mashup as well, because I want Paul, uh, to be a character that we may have seen in another movie before, but from years before, and this is years later working for a different company, but still very much an executive trying to find his way up in the world. And not really knowing how to handle it. And uh, and not always handling it in the best way. You get Christian Bale to play Paul. And he, <laughs> and he plays uh, well, Paul or whatever other name. He's basically his character from American Psycho mixed up with Big. Oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to see him just like doing the, the sweating like nice. You know where he's borderline ready to just go into a full on like psychopathic like rampage. <laughs> I think would be a lot of fun and definitely a nod to you don't even have to mention that it's attached to American psycho. That would be enough to be for it to be right. everyone's head cannon that it's the same character. And and you can see the feed me a stray cat fucking scene happening in this movie. Too. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that would just be incredibly fun for me. And uh, I think Michael Mann, he could definitely <laughs> play it like eighties executive enough with the tone that it would really work with that character that's doing that as well in American Psycho. Fuck so, yeah, dude. Yeah. And then finally, Young Josh. Um, like I said before, uh, Wyatt Olaf uh, from the sta- Young Stanley from It and uh, Young Peter Quill, yeah. of course, I think has the ability to play both the serious and kind of more fun take of uh, Young Josh. So Solid choices, man. Yeah. I think, I think we both did really well on the uh, serious one more than the funny. Funny ones are good. I think those both would do well. Yeah, they would do well, but I just want to see this movie as a fucked up, like, iteration of a loss of innocence. Just yeah. To, like, just to trip down a fucking anxiety hole. <laughs> it's like if 13 and going on 30 was played by Courtney Love instead of Jennifer Garner. You're like, <laughs> see how bad it can get. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So yeah, the, I ah, the pro, what I was running into, and let's let's talk about the uh, the seductress uh, yeah. a little bit before we get into our mashups. That 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 was one of the things that was problematic, and I want to get into kind of the problematic natures of like that was hard to transfer over to a modern take. Is that she fucks a child? I mean, he's in an adult body; she's not aware of it. Well, yeah, exactly. That's the only reason why it's not it, it, it wasn't a freaking scandal at the time is because. She thought she was fucking an adult. Yeah. Who just happened to be very youthful in a way. Yeah, childlike wonderment and the like. And I I think the bigger, more problematic part is that she was such a freaking, like, kind of gold digger up the corporate chain sort of character as portrayed in the original that that was like, that to me was more problematic than the fact that, you know, she latched on to this different guy and fucked his brains out at some point. I've got a really fucked up tie in uh, to your Aronofsky take. Oh yeah. What's that? That he fucks her. And then it's months later that he returns to his life as a child. So when he, you know, takes the pill or does the Zoltar machine or whatever and turns into an adult, 
their unborn child in her stomach also grows up to the sage, same number of years that he grows up and rips out of her body. <laughs> <laughs> or like he basically steals like his, his adulthood, um, oh, his man. baby child in her tummy and turns into an adult as he turns oh, into a child. That's just a... F- that would be like a perfect deleted scene. Yeah, right. And she, like an alternate ending. She just turns into like blood <laughs> and and bones and ribbons of flesh just tearing apart as this human comes ah, screaming out of her tummy. And it would it would be a a horrifically ghastly scene the oh, way yeah. he, the way he would have to film it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that that's that's dark. Yeah. I like. I, like yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I'm okay, guys. Don't don't email and ask if I'm all right. That was just, I, I mean, that's pretty fucked up, but the whole thing about the seduction of Josh by Susan is that by the way, that is currently the name of this episode is the (laughs) seduction of Josh by Susan, by Susan. (laughs) The, I mean, in, in the original, you know, she's all about trying to get on that dick. Yeah. She's like, Oh, you ate some caviar. You had a bad time. Do you want to go? I got a car outside. And they get into the limo and they're going to his place and he's having a blast because he's a kid yeah. in a grown up body and she is fully intending to fuck his brains out. Oh, yeah. Clearly. She gets into the arcade that is his apartment. Yeah. And she's with even a talking trampoline. about a sleepover and stuff. And he's like, I got top bunk. Yeah. He's like, as long as I can be on top. And she's like, OK. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, nothing happens. He's not ready for it. And he's also not even really thinking in those in no, that way of thinking. It he, doesn't occur to him. Yeah. I mean, that's just being a kid. Yeah. You know, and it isn't until they finally like have kissed and she takes her, like her shirt off and she's got a bra on and he gets a touch of booby. And he's like, she turns the light off. He turns it back on. And oh yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, yeah, first time. And you see the first time boob touch happen. Yeah. And, it's so, it's so perfect. He acts just like it should be. And, but at this point, she's softened to him. Like, you know, she's letting it happen on his terms, on his speed, which is better. It's better, but she's still, you know, you don't make an entire turn of your entire personality based on like one moment like that. This is still pretty much a terrible person. You have to suspend your disbelief that she, uh, any rational human being, would realize after a certain point in time that this guy over here is either a child magically grown into an adult <laughs> Which or would be, would be the common sense or way he's to on approach some this. kind of spectrum or he is just a simpleton in the head. Something is wrong. You shouldn't take advantage. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you know what I mean? So there's that. You want to talk about problematic? There you go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Tur- turning big into simple Jack. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that is uh, pretty problematic. Right, so never, gotta... never fuck the full retard. Yeah. Oh <laughs> God. Sorry. Uh, no, that was that was part of the beauty of Tropic Thunder too, is that they were able to play with these like really, really inappropriate like tropes, but because they were being a parody of it, they were making fun of it. They were able to kind of like touch them. And and touch on it and not get in trouble for it, like Robert Downey in blackface, or you know, or Ben Stiller playing a simpleton um, in in that movie. Mm-hmm. So um, 
it, it's really hard nowadays to get away with that kind of thing without being really smart about how you do it. So it's very true. Very true. Now mashups. We've got uh, two here from our friend Murphy Lawless was nice Ooh, enough to supply nice. a couple ideas. These are both TV shows that we could uh, mix into. The first one is Eureka, which are you familiar with Eureka? I saw some of it. I didn't finish it. The Eureka is basically this town of like where wild and whimsical things happen. And uh, it's right. because there's scientists, all sorts of stuff happen in there. So yeah. the easy take in is that that's how the age change happens. Okay. And all right. uh, you could do it all within Eureka where, you know, the mom thinks the kid's missing, but really like the kid is like down the street <clears throat> doing shit. You nice. don't need to go to New York to do this. You can do it in basically any town and the parents not going to recognize, you know, the kid. So you can even have run into the grocery store or something or just <laughs> all sorts of weirdness and it would work. But the whole thing is the maybe young younger friend trying to figure out the 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 ray to reverse to get him to be a kid again right, right. no i get it i get it yeah so yeah it's solid and then the other one is one i'm familiar with but i have not watched any any of myself is a freakish or freaked i'm sorry freak the movie freaked i don't know if it's the movie freaked are you talking about the one with alex wintered went uh from bill and ted where he goes into like the carny town and gets turned into a freak by uh fucking uh what's his nuts the crazy one uh from the christmas vacation and independence day oh oh well, uh randy, randy quaid yeah he's like the head of like this weird carnival town in fucking mexico or something oh shit. you know what it's got to be because i think the sh- series that i thought this was is freakish i believe oh if so, sh- so this is freaked I freaked believe. is a movie that i have Con- well, if it's a carnival-related stuff, that sounds like it might actually work more with mashup anyway. Yeah. And it's a, also a movie that I've wanted to put on Beautiful Disasters for a minute. Okay. It's bananas. That movie is fucking insane. Okay. And it's definitely, like, the one thing, if I ever met Alex Winters in person, I'd be like, you're signing that. Because <laughs> <laughs> nice. that shit was nuts balls, man. Um, so yeah, uh, carnival, that would be the easy tie in there is yeah, that you have yeah. this old tar machine at the carnival and then I don't know, your parents die, um, uh, <laughs> from, and then you're suddenly a grown up and fitting into this carnival somehow, or, or it, even if you don't grow up, you, you grow up into a weird dog creature, dog boy or something. There we go. Yeah. Instead of New York city trying to get along as a video game person is like, you lay low because you're in the middle of nowhere and this carnival killed your parents and you're an adult now and they don't know that you're the kid and you have to kind of play it cool <laughs> until you can find a way to get out. But then you kind of drink the Kool-Aid a bit yeah, and you become one of them. I'm, I'm down. That'd yeah. be fucking hilarious. Um, So I had a couple, but okay. I, the, the one I'm going to talk about is Kill Bill. Okay. And in the sense that um, when he gets big... And he is presented with all of this adult culture and like he gets a job and there's a girl and all this stuff, his brain breaks. And suddenly all these new people in his life, the John Lovitz character, like all these different like people in, in his, you know, adult life are now like villains that he must defeat. And in his imagination, he starts seeing each one of them as a different genre. Oh, Jesus. Like, okay. Like one dude is the fucking ninja. He has to kill one dude is the fucking gunfighter. One dude is the, you know, like 
the sexy nurse vixen that he has to, like and he has to defeat them all so it becomes kind of like a survival story so it's like kill bill meets american psycho meets big yeah <laughs> a little bit it's just run with it okay no, i dig <laughs> it i dig it you know i can see him like the buddy that is a ninja that he's got to defeat just has a samurai store on display in his office Absolutely. Or something along those lines. And he just comes in, I don't know, maybe after hours with his own sword and like challenges him. And the dude just like scared, grabs his samurai sword off the thing to like protect him from the sword being swung at him. Yeah. And it's just businessmen in samurai outfits where one is just clearly like. And it can be super comedic because nobody knows actually how to fight. Yeah. They're still murdering each other. Yeah. In like a, a very awkward, but yet still very violently brutal way. Yeah. You know, I mean. We've all been in fights without being professional fighters, yes, right? Yes, very true. Yeah. And real fights without being a professional fighter or like a real trained fighter, military person, something, they're pretty awkward. They are awkward. There's yeah. a lot of like... And they're pulling... not they're not eight-minute sequences where nobody's losing their breath. Uh, it's a little bit shorter than that. It's shorter, and there's a lot of clothes pulling, yeah. and there's... Yeah. They're, they're real desperate. Maybe slap boxing, uh, <laughs> depending on... Just how inexperienced you could are. Could be, could be. Yeah, it's very possible. All right, uh, we are at the tail end, so we're going to do our trailers now. Um, I'm going to have fun with my my uh, thriller Michael Mann version. Are you doing your... Uh... I'm doing my dark as fuck Darren Aronofsky version. Okay. All right, let's get the music queued up. Josh's world has fallen apart. A brother gone, a father who has left, and a mother in shambles. This spring, join him as a journey, as the mysteries of the world find a way to make him big. Follow Josh as he treks into the big city in a new body unfamiliar to him as an adult for the first time in his life. Navigates the ins and outs of a society ready to suck all the joy and innocence of childhood out of this tiny, tiny body. Join James Franco as Josh as he teams up with his childhood friend, Billy, played by Jacob Trepley of Room and Wonder. Gets a job at a video game company under the guise of being his older brother and falls for the local honeypot. The vamp about town of Susan, played by Scarlett Johansson. Watch him butt heads with the CEO, Liam Neeson, playing McMillan, as he tries to get to the top of his game in an industry that's cutthroat, and one that might literally cut his throat is Paul, the young, powerful executive, played by Christian Bale, who may or may not be an American psycho. This spring, watch Wyatt Olaf as young Josh transform into adult to realize that sometimes keeping a big secret isn't all it's made out to be. <laughs> big. I've definitely done worse. I've done... No, that's solid yeah yeah like i've it. definitely uh i've definitely shit the bed way harder than that before so uh I, I'll, I'll take it that's why this shit's fun man oh hell yeah 
All right, so you're next. Yep. So you're doing a, let's see, okay, you're doing this one here. So you're doing your Aronofsky one, right? Correct. Okay, let's get this shit show started here. The new New film film by by Darren Darren Aronofsky. Aronofsky. A loss loss of of innocence. innocence. A young boy, played by Wyatt Olin, makes a deal with the devil to become grown-up big. As he transfers, we see Ryan Gosling play the adult him, find himself in a lonely, desperate city. Scared. His innocence is... <laughs> his innocence is in jeopardy. There we go. And his best friend from his youth, played by Julian Dennison, is at his side. But can he be saved? His mother, a broken woman, before the transformation, played by Jennifer Connelly, is a wreck. As he finds himself employed at a toy company, led by an eccentric CEO and owner, played by Tom Waits, <laughs> who may or may not have his own dark intentions with the boy. <laughs> A love interest comes up, played by Chloe Savigny, who wants nothing more than to ruin his life. Matt Dillon plays the adversary. And the film coming out this summer, Force Mature. <laughs> Enjoy the darkness. Force mature? What? Let's play on words. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God damn it. All right. Yeah, so, no, it's terrible. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, thank you so much for coming out and uh, helping me uh, break apart this uh, comedy classic into a not comedy classic into a tire fire of depression yeah that one yeah that was uh <laughs> that was an interesting take if uh i i know i got some inspiration from if uh if you are a listener has not li- seen the recut big trailer they turned it into a horror movie oh yeah that shit's fun yeah and that was kind of my inspiration on going a little bit dark with the uh with the funny for me was that it's recut like the, trailer it's like the opposite of the recut shining trailer where it's like all happy and a happy family yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Uh, we'll try to put a link up on our social media when we release this episode. Um, speaking of releases and episodes and stuff going on, definitely come out to booze clues. That's another podcast on the network that I run. Uh, we're doing a live recording. All the shows are being recorded live. We're going back to the dark room on June 2nd for our next episode of booze clues. Nice. So if you are familiar with the stuff going on in the GUI network, that weekend is going to be busy. Friday night at 7.30 is our Geeks Under the Influence panel at uh, GalaxyCon. Then I think around 10.30 is, uh, on Saturday, is Geek Father. Then the Beautiful Disasters panel, you guys are at like 
we're in the afternoon like four 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 thirty something like that something like that yeah on uh, on saturday it's gonna be a blast and then we're doing a smack my pitch up we're doing the karate kid uh for our pitch on uh 8 15 i believe on saturday night so i can't it's wait that's just gonna book be wild fun. oh it's gonna be super fun and then sunday i'll be one of the people on the adventures in podcasting panel which is about starting your own podcast if you're interested in doing this kind of thing and you want some insights and by people that are already doing podcasting then definitely come out i'm gonna be on there with tim uh tim bryan who runs uh gaggle pod and a few other things as well a uh, lot, lot of information, a lot of uh, interesting stories from podcasting that will be delivered to you if you're interested in finding out how to get into this crazy hobby on your own. Goddamn right. It's a, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. So definitely check out Adventures in Podcasting on Sunday, I believe, at 3.30. Then Sunday at uh, Doors at 6, Show at 7, Booze Clues at the Dark Room in the historic Hofheimer building in Richmond, Virginia. At 6, Show at 7, be over a little bit after 8. And yeah. uh, it's it's a lot of fun. We do uh, investigations, quote unquote, into the world's most spirited headlines. So we talk about some of the weird drunk stories we've gotten over the past few months and uh, kind of dig into it and see what we can find out, quote unquote. So it's it's super fun. A lot of ad-libbing and improv happens <laughs> on these episodes. So check that out. And all the other stuff at GUIpodcast.com for the Geeks Under the Influence Network. We're uh, going to be bringing you more Smack My Pitch Up. Hell yeah. Um, I keep your ears peeled should be a couple of beautiful disasters episodes coming out before the convention yes including one that is going to feature one of the uh celebrity guests at the convention i'm super excited so uh yeah the, well the, the ready. movie features the celebrity the, guests. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the movie centers around yeah we, we we wanted to do an episode featuring one of the uh celebrity guests it's going to be fun. It, yeah. The, it's, and the film is uh, fantastic. So, oh yeah. It's well great. worth, well worth some, uh, some listening there. So yeah, check that out. We're all on our own streams now besides, uh, geeks are the influence. GUI precap and GUI nights are all on the same stream that you've come to know and love and subscribe to all this time. If you want to subscribe to beautiful disasters, spec my pitch up, uh, geek father, smash talk or booze clues. Uh, then go to GYPodcast.com, click on the logo of that show, and there will be links to all the RSS feeds, iTunes, Stitcher, all that stuff on there as well. So very easy. Or just check out social media. All the information is there as well. And we'll find you here for another episode of Smack My Pitch Up next time. I'm Mike the Hobbit, and you just got pitch smacked. GUIPodcast.com <laughs>